Welcome to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so. Listen, here's our show. Hello and welcome to Probing the Wormhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I am your host, Samantha, a super fan of Stargate, and I'm joined by Rose, another super fan of Stargate, and Malika, <laughs> who, if I have to see one more crap episode, <laughs> this might be a two lady podcast. Today, we are discussing Season 1, Episode 13 of Stargate SG-1, Hathor. First, just a little warning, we will most likely talk about sexual assault, so please listen at your discretion. So we start off the episode in Mexico, Palenque, Mexico. We see two archaeologists find a sarcophagus, which contains Egyptian hieroglyphics. The male archaeologist mentions that Dr. Jackson probably would be interested in this. Uh, He then dusts off the sarcophagus and he uncovers a big red button, which he then, of course, pushes. And the uh, sarcophagus opens and an extremely bejeweled young woman comes out with very nice nails. So what did you guys think about this woman who came out? So first of all, I've been to Palenque. It's really cool. I'm surprised that there are still temples that have not been opened at all in 5,000 years or whatever, 2,000 years. Uh, I love Sue Ann Braun, who's the actress who plays Hathor. I think she is just awesome. And I think she was perfectly cast. Like she's gorgeous. She has that like sex appeal and she just plays the role really well. Uh, I have a a bit of an issue with um, a supposed Egyptian goddess with blue eyes, red hair, white skin, and an English accent. So she's South African, not English. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. So at least we are on the right continent. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fair point. She is pretty white. The distance between South Africa and Egypt is 4,000 miles. I'm just saying, if you are Queen Hathor, you are married and and the daughter, whatever, of Ra, somebody's going to be like, why is she talking like that? Why does she look like that? Well, also, South African as an accent didn't exist 5,000 years ago because (laughs) English as a language didn't exist either. But when you, if you press a big red button, you will be killed. And that's what happened to them. So was the button lit up? It looked like it was lit up to me, right? So I think your first thought should be, why is there a lit up button on an ancient sarcophagus in the middle of a Mayan temple? Maybe we should investigate where this, is it like plugged into something and not push it right away? How, so how did Hathor end up in a Mayan pyramid? Did they ever explain that? Nope. It seems like they did that to bring Jack, Dr. Jackson's research into it. That's what made him relevant, right? Because he's the one that did whatever, that study of cross-cultural exchange. But didn't they say something about how Ra banished her or something? Like he sent her to destroy humanity and then he changed his mind and he kind of like banished her. So could he have banished her to Mexico and just put her in this temple that was never supposed to be opened? Like, how old is that temple? Like, Mayan temples are much younger than Egyptian pyramids, right? Like, thousands of years. You know, they really don't pay attention to this timeline, and they kind of just throw shit in there. But I'm like, if Ra left in his ship 5,000 years ago, and the Stargate was buried, and Palenque wasn't built until, you know, 3,000 years after that, when the fuck did she get in that temple? And who put her there? And how? Yeah, so major plot hole, how the fuck did she get in this temple? (laughs) All right, the next scene, we are in the gate room, and... (laughs) SG-1 and General Hammond are all clustered around the sarcophagus and they're all caressing it. Did you see that? It was weird. All their hands are on the sarcophagus and they're like feeling it up. Okay. How does it get in there? Do they have a cargo elevator that brings really, really giant sarcophagi down to the like level 45 or whatever? Kind of just all of a sudden there's a sarcophagus in the gate room. It's a little weird. So is there ever any discussion at this point of where is this Gaud? Are they wondering where it went? Like, are they at all concerned that there might be a Gaud running around? Because there actually is, but they don't mention that as a possibility at this point. 
I mean, yeah, to me, I'm like, why isn't anyone more concerned about this? Like you have an Egyptian sarcophagus in Mayan, the Mayan temple. That's weird. Daniel acknowledges that's weird. You, you know that ancient Egyptian artifacts are connected to the Gould. You've seen this device before on Ra's ship in which Gould can resuscitate people and it's empty and you have two dead people. Like, let's at least have a, hey, maybe we should be a little more concerned. Like the lack of concern, or at least like even fathoming the possibility that there's a ghoul running around Earth is like really shocking to me. And even after they find her and she like clearly has information, they're like, she's just crazy. I'm like, it's not like doesn't even occur to you. (laughs) She could be a ghoul or connected to this somehow. So then they hear that there is a, uh, a woman who is trying to get into the mountain and she knows about the Stargate. General Hammond, uh, Daniel and O'Neill make contact with this woman. I think at this point she identifies herself as Hathor. Yeah, Hathor. Because then O'Neill then says, ah, oh, goddess of sex, drugs and rock and roll. Fertility and inebriety and music, which is exactly sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yes. See, this is why I think that it was already starting to affect Daniel, because he decides that her handcuffs should be removed. General Hammond and O'Neill don't object to this. Like, Daniel says, she's not going to beat me up. Of course she's going to try to beat you up. I mean, she's a Gould. And especially after he finds her name to be Hathor, they're like, oh, Goulds impersonate ancient Egyptian gods. There's an ancient Egyptian god missing, and this woman has an ancient Egyptian god name, knows about the Stargate. Like, the the pieces are there to be connected, and the lack of anybody making those connections is so frustrating. And then she wants to uh, kiss his hand, and he lets (laughs) her. And this is where I, for some reason, thought this looked like purple rain, even though I know it's not purple and it's not really rain. It's more like a mist, like a breath that she blows at him. It's definitely purple rain. Okay. (laughs) So I did some research on Hathor. She is the goddess of love, beauty, music, dancing, fertility, and pleasure. She's also, which I think is really interesting, the protector of women. So what? the hell. The rest of this episode makes zero sense. They also listed her as daughter of Ra and wife of Horus, even though Daniel says that she's the daughter and wife of Ra. So, okay. Some of the research says that as the goddess of beauty, she's the patron of cosmetics and wearing them is a sign of of worship to her, which I'm probably going out on a limb here. None of the air ladies are wearing any makeup because that's probably not really uh, regulation. And plus, who really wants to wear makeup when you're in the bowels of a mountain? So they are definitely not worshiping her. But the issue is she is the protector of women. I mean, later we're going to find out that she tries to kill all the women, especially Carter. So they, they should have found a different goddess. Could that explain why she doesn't have an effect on women, though, in some weird, distorted logic? So, okay, this purple rain doesn't affect women, but this is all very heteronormative, right? Janet Frazier, Dr. Frazier explains or theorizes that it somehow works by affecting hormones. So is it male physiology that makes it work? So it's reacting with testosterone in some way, meaning it would have the same effect on a gay man who isn't attracted to her like sort of naturally, but would still fall under the spell and isn't affecting women physiology, or is it based on hormones of attraction? So it's affecting people that tend to be, that would have some kind of latent attraction. So it would affect gay women, but not straight women. I mean, in this, this, show they sort of use men and attracted to women uh, synonymously, but that's not, that's not really the case. And so like, and I would think in a facility this size, there's got to be one person who's either gender non-conforming or, or queer, even in, in the 1990s military, that would like, you know, be a man that's unaffected or a woman that is affected. She didn't even bother to use the purple rain on Carter. I mean, later on, we'll see that she blows it on everybody, all the men, but she, she doesn't even bother with Carter, right? He calls her an exceedingly beautiful woman. <laughs> so she knows it doesn't work. Dr. Frazier actually calls it a combination of pheromones and sodium pentothal, which is like the quote unquote truth serum, which isn't really truth serum, but that's where the loopiness is and the horniness and the horniness. 
So if it makes you horny, so if it's not reacting with your testosterone, if it, if it's just making you so horny and so relaxed that you're like, hey, pretty lady, I'm going to do whatever you say, then it wouldn't affect people that are not attracted to her, right? It wouldn't affect gay men and it would affect gay women, right? And that is not represented. But we have to remember, this is the late 90s. Wasn't it don't ask, don't tell? So does it affect, if you're closeted, if you're forced by your president, your commander in chief to be closeted? You're going to act loop even when you're not so that people don't think you're gay? <laughs> right. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> but what about gay women? Were they like pretend to not be affected? But I think that maybe because she didn't even bother to try on Carter. So maybe she doesn't even bother to try period on any woman. So if you are a lesbian woman or somebody who's attracted to her, she wouldn't even blow it on you. She so just, then is it airborne or like, or does it get, does it, why is she blowing it on your hand? Right. Is it just absorbing through your hand skin and then like somehow and your mouth and sometimes she blows it in their mouth and stuff, but that's kind of airborne. Right. So you would think if you're in the room when that's happening, you're going to get some effect from it. I think she was just using their hand to block her mouth so they wouldn't see her blowing it. So, I mean, it's believable to me that this substance is, is interacting with physiology in a way that they don't understand. It's just the stark lines of gen the stark gender divide that doesn't account for differences in sexual preference seems a little lazy. She just has to bat her eyes and refer to herself in the royal we. And what was up that? Beautiful nails and, and the men will fall down at her feet. No, the royal we. I mean, isn't that how the Queen of England talks too? That's just how they talk. Yeah, but no other Gould refers to itself like that ever. Like it, this is the one and only Gould who refers to herself as we, which I'm assuming is we, the host and the Gould, right? That's the, the we that she's referring to? Or is it we, her brethren? I think she's talking about we, her brethren, all the original Goulds. So we, we do learn a little bit more about how Gould reproduce. I guess only certain queens can can actually reproduce and give birth to Goulds. So maybe all of those, and we don't really meet too many of those. So maybe all of those are wees because they've like bring forth so many more. <laughs> I don't even want to speculate what goes on in your uterus when it's full of like 50 larvae that you have to poop out into a hot tub. <laughs> Can we talk about how now whenever I see Hammond, I will think of him as having a crown of marble? <laughs> that is the best way to describe a bald man. That was awesome. Hasn't she ever seen a bald man before? Maybe no? she always calls some people with crowns of marble. See, I just think she, that's why I like Sam Brown. I think she delivers lines great. In her South African accent. <laughs> what about your trench coat comment? Oh, God. <laughs> So, so many questions about this trench coat. Where did this trench coat come from? Did they give it to her? Did she think she needed to wear a trench coat because she saw some, I don't know, commercial or film noir where Barbara Streisand, no, Barbara Stanwyck, there we go, was walking around in a trench coat. Did she think that this is what women were wearing during these, during this time? And then if they gave it to her to cover up that red gold ensemble she was wearing, that is a huge mistake because she looks like she is not wearing anything else under this trench coat. Okay. First of all, how the fuck did she get from Mexico to Colorado? Like she doesn't have a passport. That's an international border. Did she get on an airplane? Did she walk? Did she swim through the Gulf of Mexico? Unclear. Wearing that, like, I just don't see how, or maybe she like purple rained everyone on the way. Who knows? All you do is purple rain a pilot. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Just blow on him and he'll, he'll fly you anywhere you want to go. Weird. And then, yeah, if, if she shows up, let's say she showed up, I don't think she like, was like, Oh, let me wear a trench coat. I think she probably showed up at the base wearing her sexy outfit. And they're like, here, put this on why there was just a handy trench coat there instead of like, I don't know, scrubs or a uniform or like a jacket seems weird. I mean, what is wrong with her clothes? <laughs> I guess she's not naked. She's not naked. I mean, later on, she's going to have the metal bikini on. But that was a reveal down the road. She's wearing a long dress. I mean, sure, it doesn't have sleeves, but there's nothing wrong with it. Maybe she wanted pockets. Yeah, that's I mean, true. Designers are always making women's clothes without any pockets. It's very aggravating. 
No, she didn't have anything to put in her pockets. What is she going to put in her well, pockets? She, she have, how much purple rain does she have? She's got to have a stash somewhere. Is there like, a, she's got to have some vial of it. Is no, it like coming out of her, right? It's a, fa- I think it's like a pheromone. She creates it. It's an exc- excretion. And that's what a pheromone is, right? So she creates it internally because in the body, it's a hormone. Outside, when it affects someone, it's a pheromone. So I think she's full of purple rain and can produce more at any time. So she does at this point claim that she's the mother of all pharaohs and that she's the wife and mother of Ra. Uh, O'Neill wants to commit her right away, but then she starts kissing General Hammond's hand and no one thinks this is suspicious. She purple reigns Hammond and then they leave Daniel there to question her. And this is where- Great idea. Yeah, what a great idea. Especially when Daniel was like about to reveal all this classified information and Hammond's like, don't, but I'm going to leave you here and leave the room and everything's going to be fine. But at this point, Hammond is purple reigned. So he's under her spell. That's true. Yeah. Broken. And I think this is where she does her glowy eye things and we realize she's a gold. Which we kind of already figured, right? Yeah. (laughs) Everyone but the characters in this TV show figure that out. Can we just say that these men become Hathor wasted? That's what happens. (laughs) Okay, this is also when she takes off her trench coat to reveal a, a quite modest gold red dress. Uh, She does more purple rain at Daniel and they kiss. First sexual assault. Should we keep track of them all? This is a very obvious sexual assault. And again, you know, in Stargate's track record, if it's the man that's the victim, we don't call it a sexual assault. It's just, you know, kind of a bad hangover. Doesn't it look like she's actually doing something to these guys when she kisses their hand? I mean, at some point, someone should say, why are you kissing so many hands? Do they see the purple mist coming out? Like, is that not visible to anybody? I don't think so. Because if you remember, she's over next to the bed in the cell. And so she's facing the men. And so when they come over to her and she breathes on their hands, their backs are to everybody else. Their their hands are to everybody else. Her mouth is covered by the man and the hand. You have two men who are Hathor wasted. And O'Neill is the only one who's not broken by her. But I think before you even get purple rain, you are already under kind of under her spell, maybe by proximity. Her beauty is just so all encompassing that you you aren't 100 percent broken, but you're a little bit broken. And when she breathes on you, you're done for, especially since Daniel, who loves Sheree so much, is like ready to drop trowel <laughs> as soon as she breathes on him. Ugh. Another point against Daniel for well, me. this was this was clearly rape. He was drugged and raped. I, I can't hold it against him. I still will, but okay. <laughs> the next scene is the briefing room scene. This is where Daniel Jackson reveals that she is a gauld, that she is actually Hathor. She is actually Hathor. But she's a nice gauld. Uh, Anil and Carter look a little doubtful, but Jackson and Hammond have a purple rain moment with their eyes with respect to Hathor. And Hammond smiles and looks absolutely ridiculous. He dialed up the cheese for this. Oh, yeah. I love Carter's whole, like, what the fuck is going on, you guys? <laughs> like, and, and it's like, you can tell her desire to, like, not piss off her superior officers is, like, worrying with her, like, what the fuck is going on, seriously, feelings. But I do like how she's like, yes, I am actually opening, openly questioning your judgment about this, sir. And she's not afraid to say that. Yeah, she shows her balls in this scene. Her it's ovaries. Ovaries. <laughs> her ovaries. Either of you guys speak Spanish? Do you know Spanish? You know, cojones? What is the Spanish word for ovaries? What is Spanish for ovaries? In Spanish, ovaries is ovarios. Ovarios, okay. Is there a little bit too much gold on Teal'c? Yeah. Yeah, it does look a little, and it looks like maybe because he's sweating or it looks very shiny. His face looks very shiny in this scene. Very golden glistening. (laughs) Yeah, I think there were a few episodes where they sort of sprayed some gold tanner or something on, on Teal'c, but I, I think they gave it up. They do point. give it up. And they, at some point, even joke about giving it up. Oh, they did? Yeah. Stargate does make fun of itself in some later episodes. There is comments on his less goldness. He was the most golden in this briefing room, and then they tone it down for the rest of the episode, but it was like was every so time lighting. You, yeah, every like time shining. you him, he's like reflective. <laughs> okay, now can we go to Shipper's Corner? 
I, I think this is the first time where we see O'Neill make some kind of joke and Carter then sort of gives him a little smile. And that was it. <laughs> She's amused by him. Yes. He finds him amusing. That's a whole of Shivers Corner? No, no, there's going to be more. Actually, it's more I mean, like RDA and Pinky. Well, I thought it was interesting that they had just experienced mind control in fire and water. Why would you not be like, something is wrong here? Not just fire and water, fire and water in Broke a Divide in Brief Candle. Brief Candle. Like they've been, they've experienced alien mind control multiple times and specifically Indian mind control that lets, that gets them all horny and makes them do sexy things. That is a repeated theme. I think this is what the third episode in of 12 that we've seen this. <laughs> Somebody really had a thing for drugging people and making them have sex. It's their way of cutting loose. <laughs> let's, let's take some of this purple rain and get it on. I liked how eventually the camera turns to Carter and I was just thinking she's going to have to fight this bitch and go down. It's going to be between these two badass ladies because the men are useless. They are broken. Hathor wasted. Hathor does not try to purple rain Carter and Carter continues to voice her reasonable, quite reasonable concerns and all the men shoot her down. Yeah, no, Carter and Teal'c are awesome and Frasier is awesome and everyone else really sucks in this episode. Well, the fact that Hathor blows the purple rain onto Teal'c, supposedly she knows that Jaffa are immune. So why even bother? And that's why nobody trusted him. Carter and Dr. Frazier didn't really trust him at first. But when all the women take up arms and they're about to shoot him in the gate room, they don't quite believe him at first. Maybe Jaffa 2000 years ago would have been. And there has been changes in the Jaffa physiology since then. It also set up this idea that, or a suspicion that Teal'c might double cross them. Because I remember when I first watched watched this episode, I kept expecting Teal to double cross them, the, the, the group of ladies, and say, ah, I'm actually with Hathor. But that obviously never happens. I mean, I think part of it is his gold symbiote like neutralizes drugs and stuff, but it could also be that because Jaffa are generally in the service of Gould, there's not a whole lot of need to Purple Rain. So maybe she hasn't had to do it before. And let, like, let's just see how it goes. It could also be that because his resistance to the Gould is so strong that like, if, even if there's a mild effect, he's able to overcome it because he's so committed to not serving any Gould. I'm going to say it's the strength of Teal's will that... <laughs> That gets him out of this. I'll go for that. But I felt the same way, Sam. I, I was expecting him to turn the gun on the women at any moment. I was just waiting. And when Carter, I think it was Carter, hands him the machine gun, I was like, no, he's just going to shoot you. Next scene is in the guest quarters. Daniel, O'Neill, and Hammond show Hathor around. She does some more purple rain maintenance on them to get rid of the the idea that she needs a guard. So this is the, the guest quarters, I guess, for visiting generals, maybe? Well, let's back up for a second. This guest quarters, I paused it because it is literally a huge, beautifully appointed bed and a desk. It looked like it was Hammond's office and they just put a bed in there. They tried, yeah. That's what a general needs. Exactly. And they tried to have the camera angles focused on the bed. But if you watch the moving shots, it looks like General Hammond's office on the side. It was so ridiculous. This is still a low budget season, I think. <laughs> Why would you have a hotel room in the bottom of a mountain, underneath a mountain? Well, I think it is for visiting guests, like uh, like generals, five-star generals or something. Also, when they have aliens come through, remember the first episode they brought all those refugees? Where did they sleep until they were able to repatriate them? Not in the guest court. <laughs> they put them in the cells. I guarantee you they got the bunk beds. Why can't you also like get colorful sheets? Why does everything have to be like drab and green? Yeah, it's very Motel 6. In the hallway, we see Carter and O'Neill together. Carter is trying to reason with O'Neill, and O'Neill says, relax, and puts his hand on her shoulder and then walks off. You know, if I, if I were Carter, I would have taken his hand and broken it, probably, because that is such a demeaning gesture. Someone puts their hand on your shoulder and tells you to relax. He's also an idiot. He's been blown by Hathor. <laughs> and so he's broken. He's not thinking clearly. 
what my question is, is why did Carter even think that he was going to help her? Maybe she thought O'Neill would resist it more or he'd be able to resist it more because of his history and training and his, you know, previous mind control three weeks earlier. And their special relationship. Yes. So let's talk about this. If this purple rain makes them horny, then you would think O'Neill would be horny at this point. And there's this beautiful woman, Carter, who is probably his ideal woman. Why doesn't he hit on her? So, I mean, when Janet later has her idea of like, hey, let's get these guys all worked up and that's going to be our escape. It wasn't like they were like hitting on them. It was more of a like they were responding to the invitation. So I think it kind of makes them a combination of horny, but also kind of like passive or like easily manipulated. And so she's not she wasn't putting forward any like, hey, let's get it on vibes at that particular time. Do you think if O'Neill hadn't been blown, would he have put his hand on Carter's shoulder and, and told her to relax? He did hug her in the last episode. O'Neill's kind of a touchy guy, like in a not really creepy way. Like he hugs Daniel. He, you know, I feel like he he's one to sort of put his hand on your shoulder and it's not creepy. Okay, so the next scene we have Hathor and, and Daniel Jackson just walking around the gate room as if they do it all the time. Uh, Hathor reveals she is the mother of uh, Gaul adults and Gaul babies. And at this point, why doesn't anyone stop them, stop Hathor from walking around? I thought there was a concern that she would see the Stargate. And I, I guess the answer is that she's just blown every man there and the women are just hanging back wondering what the hell is happening. Well, Sam mentions it. She's like, when's the last time you saw a woman stationed here? I mean, I think their little mini militia of five is really all that there are. Well, and Danielle said that she's the most beautiful woman and she can control men with her beauty. So that's where I got the idea that maybe at the beginning when everybody, all the men were in the cell with her, Hammond, O'Neill, and Daniel were in the cell with her. She was already working her magic on them even before she blew on Hammond and Daniel. So O'Neill was already starting to be under her control simply by gazing on her beauty. European standards. <laughs> but in this scene is the first time where I start writing in my notes, gross, 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 because the idea that all the symbiotes come from her and she is the queen bee. Now, when I hear queen bee, I don't think of queen bees. I think of the termite queen, giant undulating maggot looking thing that just pumps out eggs and eggs and eggs and that's how I thought of Hathor. This is the other thing. Okay, so we get some more info on the Gould reproduction. Apparently, the queen has sex with the species of the host. So are all Goulds half human? Are all Goulds that end up taking human hosts half human? Yeah, I think so. I think there is some DNA in there or some human DNA in there. So that means that a Gauld can't just go to any old being and mm-hmm. inhabit them, right? It's got to have the same DNA, the same code of life that they came from. We've seen ghouls that go to di- between species, though. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, I'm not sure that this is consistent with what we learn later. So, of the millions of ghouls that one queen could breed, some of those are going to be queens, right? Or are none of them queens? What happens when they die? I don't, I don't think they do, do they? Hathor is thousands and thousands of years old. There has to be a way of reproducing. I mean, everything dies eventually. Maybe there's a this special kind of breeding to make more queens. There has to be another queen somewhere because remember the uh, episode where they encountered all the baby Gaud in that little vase thing that Dana yeah. killed? There's so many Gould larvae because there's so many Jaffa. There's got to be like a bunch of queens. What I'm saying is, I think there's a limited number of them that can reproduce. Remember, Apophis was looking for his queen, and he calls Sheree his queen. Is she now able to produce symbiotes? Or is this is this just a huge plot hole? I, I think you've stumbled upon the right answer. This episode <laughs> was, it's a fan favorite, but it's not, it's not really... St- considered canonical this is a fan this is a huge fan favorite because Hathor is I think because people like the character Hathor and they like the actress that plays her I like this I I find this episode enjoyable to watch while recognizing I don't feel enriched as a human being after having watched it in fact I feel dumber as a human being so the next scene we are in Dr. Fraser's office and she has quite a large office, but I guess she's the, the head doctor of Cheyenne Mountain. So that kind of makes sense. But we see Carter is Googling. I know they didn't have Google back then, probably. <laughs> she's <laughs> on the net, as she says. I'm on the net. 
She's netting, netting. That sounds weird. She's doing like uh, modem sounds that they cut out. <laughs> what would it be like Alta Vista or Yahoo? What was it back then? It's probably past AOL, right? 97, we're, we're past the days of AOL. No, yeah. AOL was still going, right? They still have AOL. I'm sure they have like some yeah. special military server <laughs> where they're not <laughs> logging on with AOL. But yeah, I know. I don't think, but it was probably, it was a dial up or maybe it was like cutting edge technology at the time, but there's still no Google. Anyway, she's searching for gods. Uh, Fraser and Carter both confirm that the boys are behaving badly. Carter makes the connection that Hathor is actually known by other names on in other cultures like Aphrodite. Uh, they also discovered that Ra sent Hathor down to Earth to destroy mankind and then changed his mind. I don't think Carter really gets into it, but I think that there was some banishing, which is, I think, why she ended up in Mexico in the temple. He changed his mind and got rid of her. So maybe he did send her back after he left Earth, sent her back. Some shit happened and she ended up in this temple. Carter also finds out that all of these sex gods, like Hathor, had magical powers over men. And it it almost seemed like the men were drunk in love. Well, do you th- do we think these other gods were Hathor impersonating them or are these other queens? That seemed to be the intimation that it was Hathor, but just known by other names in different cultures. She's Aphrodite then. But then that wouldn't fit because if Ra banished her to Mexico, how is she now part of Greek mythology? Maybe it, it would make more sense that there are other queens. Or maybe we don't know. I mean, it could be that they were, they left and they just, we never hear from them again. Frazier uses her medical knowledge to come up with some uh, mechanism for delivering this purple rain. She thinks it's a super pheromone or something like sodium pentothal. Yeah, she said that she thought it was pheromones mixed with sodium pentothal. Maybe. It's hard to say. I mean, I I love this scene because it it seems to me that her and Frazier were sort of like acquaintances, like friendly acquaintances. And this episode after this, they become really good friends. Like this really brings their relationship. And I love their relationship and their friendship. It's just really awesome. They really bond in the brig. Uh, this is also when Hathor uh, tells us about the code of life or DNA and that it's code of life from the juice of the species intended as the host. Yuck. Big yuck. Oh. Human jizz is what she's talking about. Absolutely disgusting. And Malik, I'm sure you would love thinking about Daniel's jizz. <laughs> Looking at your face too bad our listeners cannot see your face. <laughs> well, I'll give him like a fourth of a point for trying to stop her for a second. Oh, he did. Yeah. He, he tried. And was it absolutely necessary for us to hear her unbuckling him and unzipping him? It was so gross. <laughs> well, you know, at the beginning of the episode, you know how when you start something on Netflix, it says what the parental advisory stuff is. And it says nudity. So I was waiting for her to get naked because she's really sexy. Of course, she is a white woman woman and white ladies don't get naked on this show. But then when I heard the pants start to drop, I was like, are we going to see like Shanks's booty? Like what's going on here? Of course I don't not. think we see any nudity. We see like oh, O'Neill's nudity. chest a little bit. Also, why aren't they putting a sexual assault warning? Like that's more offensive than nudity. Because they don't think this is sexual assault is- because she's beautiful. Yeah. She's beautiful. So, I mean, this is even more obvious sexual assault than Brief Candle was. And that was a pretty obvious sexual assault. Like this is literally drugging you. And he's, he's resisting. I mean, at this point he's resisting. And so she drugs him more and then rapes him. And then he doesn't remember. And then he looks afterwards. He looked like he's completely in shock and then like blocks it out like I mean it's it was I was really kind of hard to watch because it seemed like a such a obvious rape to me I agree yeah that scene where he looked shell-shocked was just devastating in this pretty silly episode so are you guys asking me to write Netflix and tell them they need to update their parental advisory because I think we should had this been Carter who was drugged and raped it would have been unquestionably a rape nobody would have thought otherwise and there would have been like hell to pay and they would have avenged her Hathor would not be taking a hot bubble bath in (laughs) symbiotes by the way look like it looks like a vat of little penises right it looks gross yeah maybe it is symbolic the group of women with guns is that next oh yeah the the lady militia yeah lady militia so the next scene, we have the lady militia, and uh, they're all talking about neutralizing Hathor, and they're holding their guns, I guess, checking their guns, and Tilk shows up. 
and he wants to help them. First, of course, they have to pull their gun on him, uh, but eventually they do allow him to help. So where was Tilk for the past hour? Was he, I, see, I think he was probably in his room meditating to, to try to resist Hathor's powers. Or, or to get it out of his system. That makes sense. How would you get it out of your system? Again, this is probably a plot hole because what I'm about to say isn't going to work based on what happens later in the episode. But he got the purple rain on him too. And so maybe he went to his room and meditated, just like you said, Sam, in order to flush it out of his system. Because Jafar's immune systems are better and faster at processing stuff. Whereas a human, if she blows on him, it starts to, just with like Daniel, it started to kind of wane, which is why he was able to resist her. And then so she put more on him. So maybe he needed those that hour or whatever in his room to flush it all out of his system. But I did think that it was interesting that he said that she was trying to turn this base into her nest, which again, gross. But then here comes Carter. Here's a gun. Here, let me hand you a machine gun. Yeah. They buy Teal's explanation about his baby Gaud and they give him a gun. It seemed too fast. The next scene is the shell shock scene. Oh no, wait, there's a hallway. Remember Doc is in the hallway and um, with Carter and the other ladies. And she says, besides, when was the last time you saw a woman get assigned here? And I was like, that is some meta shit going on. Like that was a pretty deep cut conversation that Carter and Fraser had. Yeah, they're bonding. And it's probably realistic too. I mean, how many were there? What, five or six women in their militia? That's probably literally it, right? Then this entire base. I'm sure there's some support staff. Above, but probably in the classified areas, Carter got everybody together and that was that was it, five or six. So they do go into the guest quarters and this is where we find Daniel who looks uh, completely shell-shocked and uh, devastated and dressed which is very bizarre since he presumably just had sex. He looks spent. He does look a little spent. He does not look like somebody who just enjoyed a consensual sexual encounter. Absolutely not. It's a good thing you won't remember this. Like it looked like he needed, he would be crying on the floor of a hot shower. That was the look of it. Do you think Michael Shanks realized this was an actual sexual assault and decided I'm going to play this up like a victim of rape? It seemed like he, that was his mindset. I don't know if he went through that exact thought process, but I mean, it was clear he was playing it as somebody who was not in charge of his faculties, who was being made to do things he didn't want to do and wasn't trying to process it. But also he had to, because if he, if Carter walked into that room and he was like, I had the best night of my life and smoking a cigarette, then we would absolutely hate him because not only did he break his vows to Sheree, who he, he's been inundating (laughs) us with for all these episodes, but we would, I mean, we would absolutely hate him. So we have to, they have to make him a sexual assault victim because we have to forgive him in, you know, the next scene, the next episode, we need to forgive him for the rest of this series for breaking his vows. And for making more Gould, for putting Earth at risk. Daniel Gould. (laughs) Daniel Gould. Someone saw Hathor go into the locker room. Carter and company come up on Hathor sitting in the the little hot tub. Let's call it the hot tub. I think it's a soaking tub. Looking like very much like a queen bee. In labor, I guess. Well, we hear the squeaking of the the little, the baby Gaould. Where are they coming out of? (laughs) Her vagina. Is that, are they though? Where else would they be coming out of? So queen bees can only have female hosts because we learned that Gould symbiotes are genderless, right? Like they, they can take hosts of any gender Queens, I guess the ones that could breed more Goulds, could they only take female hosts? Cause they need to birth them out of their vagina. Or if they have a male host, can they push them out of somewhere else? Yeah, I would think so because you, you have to have something to impregnate and then you have to have a vessel for them to grow enough so that you can birth them into a hot tub. I mean, those are the rules. <laughs> So she's giving birth to snakes, like the way that people give birth to people. She's giving birth to these snakes. I think so. I mean, so like hundreds the, of them. Yeah. What is the alternative? She's pooping them out or she's vomiting them out. Ears. She could, they could, or nose. Yeah. She could be snoozing, sneezing them out into the hot tub. She could be peeing them out. So I'm thinking her best bet is a birth canal. <laughs> I'm sure this conversation was not had in the writer's room, but maybe it should have been. (laughs) 
I bet you that probably none of the writers even realize that women have three holes down there. <laughs> baby snakes out of her vagina into the hot tub. Is it necessary that it's a hot tub? I mean, Goulds on other planets don't have hot tubs or is it water? It just needs to be water. I think it just has to be a water, a water birth. But if it's a hot tub, then there should be chemicals in there. And, and how hot can it? I mean, it looked hot. It was steaming. I would think that that would kill or injure new larvae. I think they wanted her to have kind of a throne and a, like a birthing throne. And so that would be this hot tub. Yeah, the placement of the hot tub was bizarre. Yeah, like centered in the room next to two sets of stairs. Weird. It didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. Poor use of space in the locker room. <laughs> so Hathor says something in Gaul, and all the men come rushing in like they were just standing out in the hallway. But they weren't just like normal men. I mean, they were drunk with love men. But do you guys notice that like this is the first time we see O'Neill with his shirt untucked? Like the men looked li- more slovenly. The more horny you get, the less your uniform is regulation. Okay, so Carter and her lady militia are taken to the brig. And this is where we have the wonderful Frasier and Carter bonding moments. Frasier's awesome. I love, also love, I mean, she's awesome in this episode. And I love the tidbits we get about her. Like, this is the maybe the one and only time she mentions her ex-husband, who appears to be a sexist jerk. Like, what the fuck was she doing with someone like that? And I love how she takes one for the team and kisses that airman and then like wipes, <laughs> wipes her mouth with her hand. But she really like it was a good plan. It totally worked. And she totally was like, I'm going to kiss this guy. You kick some ass. And she takes one for the team. She it seems to be enjoying it. I mean, I think she lingered a bit with that airman. She definitely wiped her mouth like she was not too happy about having his saliva on her. But then why was she still kissing him while, while Carter had clearly t- taken <laughs> over the situation? Keep him distracted so he wouldn't fight. And I love, I love, I think Carter, Carter isn't an over-sexualized character. And I think Amanda Tapping made the choice to not play her as such, as sexy as she is and as beautiful as she is, like she really doesn't present her sex appeal outwardly as in her character. And so you can see how uncomfortable this strategy is with her and her whole reference to a, like, I feel like I'm in a women behind bars movie. I think Carter's sexiness comes from her being super smart, super badass, and feeling comfortable in her skin. She doesn't have to show off her boobs all the time like in Emancipation. That's not that's not where her sexuality comes from. O'Neill barges in on Hathor. He has questions about what is going on. I guess his purple rain has run out. She gives him more of it, and then she starts undressing him. And sexual assault number, where are we? Number two? At least three. Well, second victim. Second victim. Second sexual assault against this victim. Other than the forcible kissing of O'Neill, I don't know if the forcible hugging with her light belt (laughs) that carves holes and pouches into people is necessarily a sexual assault. It seems more like a battery. I would say that's felony assault. It is penetration, unwanted penetration. Okay, let's, I think we absolutely should decide which violation of the California Penal Code this is. (laughs) I'm thinking assault with a deadly weapon with great bodily injury. I agree. She did cut him open, stick a pouch in him. The only sexual assault aspect of it is the forcible hug, but I think that's a stretch. The hug was more in service of the like assault with a deadly weapon to hold him to her. I just don't understand how that belt makes someone into a Jaffa. So like a Jaffa is more than just has a pouch, like a complete, they have a completely different physiology. How does that take away his immune system and make him now capable of incubating a ghoul? It just seemed like a very minor act to create such a massive change to someone. Yeah. I don't think your immune system is located in your belly either. (laughs) Does it like suck, I guess, white blood cells out of your body? (laughs) I was going to say when she took the dress off, there was like this what was that? It, I mean, it was a it was a huge reveal. It needed a sound prompt. The the like I guess prosthetic belly that they give him always grosses me out with like the belly hair, which he doesn't have later, right? No, he doesn't. No, it's just I don't like it. It creeps me out. Maybe they just have like one Jaffa belly. <laughs> <laughs> And every single time they're like, just go to the back. We have a Jaffa belly in the back (laughs) with some chest hair on it, tummy hair on it. 
Is it efficient to have an X opening? Wouldn't like a pouch be more efficient for a Jaffa that can keep stuff in there? Like a kangaroo type thing? Yes, like a kangaroo type thing. Yeah, I wonder why they went with the X. Also just like a slit. Why do you need an X? But don't you think like a slit would be extra sexual? Because right? it looks so vaginal. It would. It would. <laughs> the X is like kind of intimidating. You're like, what is in there? When the larva comes out, the symbiote comes out, you're not like, ooh, that kind of looks sexual. I wonder how much room you have in there. Like, where do your other organs right. go? Yeah, like she just like punches a hole in him. But like, what happens to like his liver? Does it just get shoved over? Well, you. You two had babies. I'm sure your internal organs got moved around and squished. And a baby is much, much bigger than <laughs> one of the symbiotes. So Sam, you're right. I mean, you could put your purse in there. <laughs> I mean, maybe when it's when you're like in between symbiotes, you can just use it like a wallet. All right, so the next scene, we have the two ladies advancing down the hallway. A soldier pulls his gun on one of them. Some random woman hits that soldier in the head. And then Hammond pulls his gun on the random woman. And Carter comes and hits Hammond. Carter looks a little worried that her career is suddenly in jeopardy. But Fraser tells her, don't worry, she'll fix him right up. The next scene, we are once again in the locker room. Teal and Carter uh, enter the locker room and they see O'Neill lying on the floor, passed out. There are a gaul baby swimming around in the soaking tub. I think at this point they were using CG- CGI to get these little shrimpy looking rubber things to swim around. because The little penises? The ones yeah, that look penises. like shriveled little dismembered penises? Yeah. Well, originally they were just floating up to the surface like dead fish. So they, they used their, their CGI guy to sort of um, put some swimming penises in there, I guess. And there was a lot. That was like not enough room in that hot tub for all those symbiotes. It was a lot. She she had been busy while <laughs> all the ladies were locked up. Yes. And speaking of Hathor, she comes in, she grabs O'Neill, puts him in the tub, and then she conveniently just walks out like every other villain we see on those kind of movies. Why didn't they shoot? They know that Hathor is doing something bad and they know that there's symbiotes in this water. Why don't they just even take a warning shot? They let the danger actually happen before they do something. They're always so slow. So Hathor then walks away and Carter and Teal'c get O'Neill out of the tub. They set him down. They notice the X. And then in a truly disgusting scene, Fraser goes into the X with her <laughs> hand, searching for baby gauls. Is that our fourth sexual assault? I mean, I know that there's a defense of necessity, but this seems like a new sexual assault that's happening. He was unconscious and Dr. Fraser penetrated his body. <laughs> a cavity in his body without consent. Yeah, I think this was, I'm going to say this was a necessary medical procedure. And I think he would have appreciated it rather than be ghoulified. I do have one very important question. What is this yellow goo? <laughs> what is this? Is like, that blood, obviously? Maybe it's like amniotic fluid or something. Oh. <laughs> Because the ghouls, in the, when we saw them in Chulak, they're like in a vat of liquid. Of, so maybe they need some kind of liquidy environment. And nourishment. I mean, what are they feeding on, right? Because they do grow, right? They grow from the little tiny shriveled, like Rose said, penises <laughs> to like a full on symbiote with eyes and little like flippers. Yeah, flippers. <laughs> and ready to jump out and take over. Oh yeah, and this is also when we have the the reverse shot of Hathor emerging from the tub, which I don't know, did it work for you? Not at all. I mean, it was so obviously a reverse shot. As much as I think they were trying to make it not look like one, it really looked like one. And why wouldn't she get wet? Like, it doesn't make sense. Carter, Fraser, and Tilk get a a pretty good idea to put O'Neill in the sarcophagus so that his ex will be healed. Okay, so if sarcophagi heal things, we know that. It heals Jafanis. So if they put Teal'c in there, his he would not be a Jaffa anymore. So why don't they put him in there? That solves the problem of what to do about Junior. Or is it only because he was just recently Jaffa'd? I'd go with recently. 
to five. Okay. But here's the thing. I think that they destroyed the Gaul chamber because they didn't want to put Tilk in it. This is like one of the most important discoveries that they've had. I mean, this could revolutionize medicine. So of course they need to destroy it. I mean, the show needs to destroy it. Yeah, I agree that they couldn't leave them with a working sarcophagus. It would it would be too much of a like windfall. So they do destroy the sarcophagus. Apparently it blows up. Uh, what did she do to it? She hand deviced it or something. And th- that hand device does everything. And it was pretty crispy. Like it was burnt to a crisp. But before it was burnt, O'Neill was saved. He has his immune system back, I guess, from the sarcophagus. And they run out. And then Carter confirms that O'Neill no longer has his ex in a very cute scene. Are, are we going into Shipper's Corner now? momentarily yeah oh yeah for a moment just just a brief just a brief stroll through chipper's corner what'd she say that's a miracle and he's like crunches i know when i loved her little um you were let's just say you were wounded (laughs) do you think uh o'neill was sucking in his stomach because he was pretty ripped i think so yeah that was like he did some crunches right before they shot the scene and then he was also sucking in his stomach pretty hard didn't he she kind of caress it too she didn't. I was waiting for her to caress it, but she did not. Maybe that was like wishful thinking on my. I like that you're moving in the shipper direction, though. They go into the locker room again. Hathor is sitting in a tub of her baby golds. This is when she's talking to Daniel. Daniel's trying to convince her to show mercy. Hathor is not having it. She wants them to find Carter. Which, again, Hathor is a protector of women. The real Hathor, I put that in quote mark, would protect Carter. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of feelings about how she's portrayed and like sort of like sexist tropes about like women hating other women and all that kind of stuff. And this really feeds right into it. So Carter and O'Neill then show up. Carter tranquilizes some of them. Hathor hand devices Carter. She's just about to hand device O'Neill when Carter starts shooting her. Uh, The shooting sets fire to the soaking tub for some reason. And you can see Hathor kind of slither out through the flames. And O'Neill rescues the downed airmen. So why are Sam and Jack just like standing there waiting to be ribbon device? First of all, she ribbon devices Sam. Jack is just fucking standing there for like seconds and seconds and seconds waiting. Like he's not shooting her. He's not jumping out of the way. Maybe let's say he's still a little out of it from his Jafad sarcophagus experience, but he like, I'm like, you guys are not moving very fast. And where does this fire come from? Apparently it burns up all the goats, like even the ones that had fallen on the floor, they just spontaneously burst into flames. What the fuck? Maybe it's an am- amniotic fluid. It doesn't react well. <laughs> flammable? Yeah, it's flammable. Like nothing was shot at it. They just like combusted. <laughs> like, can she will them to combust? She's like, fuck this place. I'm I'm out. (laughs) Well, to your first point, Rose, simply her presence puts a spell on men. And then she also does the purple rain to like stop all thought because these men do not have a thought in their head. So maybe the fact that they move so slow, the men move so slow is because they were back in her presence. Even O'Neill, who was supposedly cured, he's now near her beauty. The spell is starting to work on him again. Suddenly they hear an unauthorized gate activity. Hathor has activated the gate. She's back in her headdress. I'm not sure where she found that. that. And why did she go back for it? It was in the trench coat. Oh, but why does she need it? Gould are very vain. (laughs) She goes to the gate to Chulak before they can stop her. Uh, We also discover that uh, both O'Neill and Daniel don't realize or don't remember that they were under her control. But then how does he know that the Gould would have his DNA? Like at the end when they're like cleaning up the black slime and he's like, oh, you're going to find some of mine in there. Maybe it's starting to come back to him. It's like a temporary blackout. Yeah. The the final scene is Frazier and Carter scooping up samples of dead, I guess dead Gould babies, but it's the black slime. Daniel says that there might be DNA, his DNA in there. And uh, O'Neill says yuck, which is not, not the episode's (laughs) proudest moment. There is one. Yeah. And nobody seems to be concerned that their friend was just like raped and drugged and that he might need some support around that. But no, actually, O'Neill and Tilk were taking care of that because if you noticed, they were in their civilian clothes. So I think they were going to take Daniel out for like a stag party. I think they were taking him out on a night on the town. Why would they all be dressed in civilian clothes? Daniel's choice of civilian clothes needs a makeover. 
Oh, all of their clothes are all of their, I mean, Teal's at least is like intentionally ridiculous, you know, like they're always ridiculous, but Jack with his ridiculous oversized button down shirts that are like five sizes too big, Sam with her mom jeans. I'm like, come on guys, you're an attractive bunch. Can we get a better stylist on here? Hammond comes in and he is, is not mad at them. He's not going to throw them out of the Air Force. He congratulates uh, both Fraser and Carter for keeping cool heads. He says, good job, ladies, which is not great. But O'Neill says, nice job, which is a little better of a compliment. I would have preferred had he said, like, good job, Captain and Doctor. Yeah, not ladies. Don't say ladies. But Carter smiles and looks relieved. Yeah, I mean, Hammond, I would... I. Th- think played or Don Davis played this very well. I mean, I think that's exactly how Hammond would feel is embarrassed, ashamed of, I mean, even though it wasn't really his fault, but he he definitely wouldn't have been mad at them for knocking him out. I think he was showing them the appropriate amount of uh, gratitude and appreciation, but yeah, it's kind of gross. I'm like, you know, just, I, I feel like that's not how you treat an officer under your command. In some ways, Hathor is sort of seen as this like feminist icon, I guess. I don't know if that's actually true, but I can see how some people might think of this as like an episode about women's power, both because you have Hathor, who's this formidable Gould, and also because you have the women who saved the day, right? They're the ones who like, while the men are bumbling over themselves, tripping over their dicks, the women are the ones that are like kicking ass and, and saving humanity. So is this episode sort of like a, yeah, girl power, or is this like feeding into every fucking sexist trope in Hollywood? I would go with the latter. <laughs> I think you set us up there. You know, it's a little of both, I guess. I mean, the thing I hate about this episode is it just epitomizes this trope of like the seductress. You have to be aware of like why the wiles of women, right? That they make you lose your mind and they therefore they're, they must be controlled and their sexuality must be controlled. It's feeding right into that trope. It's women hating on other women because it's, you know, they see through them and it's a competition for the attention of men. So it feeds into that crap and the women as villains. So like, yeah, it's, there's a lot of crap in here. I agree. Sam keeps telling me that this is a fan favorite. I don't understand. I mean, yes, Carter and Frasier shows that they're badasses, but we could have had a better plot line, not this reducing it kind of to a cat fight. It felt like a cat fight. So Sam, why is this a fan favorite? I'll attempt to answer that. I think people like to hate it. Okay. It's a, it's a guilty pleasure for a lot of them. But I would much rather watch this episode than Fire and Blood, Water, Fire and Water, right? Water and Water. Yeah. Every episode, we assign a number of chevrons to the episode. Zero to seven or eight, if it's an exceptionally good episode, an intergalactic episode. So, Rose, what would be your rating? You know, I totally agree with all the criticisms that we've said here. The like, why is there a white lady being this like Egyptian god from Africa? You know, all these sexist tropes. But I am definitely one of those fans that still enjoys watching this. Maybe because it's so ridiculous. It's like so out over the top ridiculous that it's like easy to watch and not get too emotionally invested in it. So I'm going to give it a four. I actually was going to give it a five because I I find it enjoyable. I mean, I don't think it's quality storytelling. The guilty pleasure is exactly what it is. It's like, it feels like eating candy. Like you can't stop, you like it, it feels good, but you don't feel like better as a human being after having done it. And so that's kind of where I'm at with this episode. I thoroughly dislike this episode. I feel betrayed by my two friends here on the podcast because each time they say, oh, no, no, no. The episodes are going to get better. You're going to love this show. It's so great. And then this happens or fire and water or emancipation. We did warn you about emancipation thoroughly. You didn't warn me about this one. (laughs) I give it one Chevron for the episode and an additional Chevron for a total of two Chevrons for how ridiculous this was. I was going to give it five chevrons, but I feel like you might reach through my computer and slap me. <laughs> I, I know. I felt so ashamed into giving it four instead of five. I know, but I am going to get it four and a half chevrons. Okay. If this episode showed today, how would they change it? The effects would be better. We always say this, but that stupid, ridiculous reverse shot would have just been excised, I think. The rape would have been called a rape or would have been treated more seriously like a sexual assault. 
it annoys me that we're we're dealing with this twice in like the span of four episodes or five episodes. So it's like, I'm like, come on, guys, the, dr- the drugging and raping men was clearly someone's fetish and it wasn't treated well. And I, th- I think that would be completely different now. I agree. And I would also hope that there would be more female officers or airmen other than just five or six. Honestly, I don't think this episode would even be filmed if it was done today. I think if they were reshooting this whole season, I think they would skip this one or they would make Hathor a different kind of alien or a different kind of Gaould. No, I think you are correct about that. I don't think it would be possible to film this episode because they would have Hathor appealing or working her purple reign on all genders. And then you wouldn't have this girl army saving the day. So this episode might hopefully be impossible to make today. Okay, so next up is episode number 14, and that is Singularity. So we hope that you will join us then. Thanks. Bye. 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 trouble You never meant to compromise the base But you did kind of fuck up subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. If you don't like us, still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at probing the wormhole, on Twitter at probing wormhole, Facebook at probing the wormhole. You can also contact us on our website at probingthewormhole.com. Thank you.